good. Well, let's pray and we'll open up God's word together. Thank you so much for your grace, which has been lavishly poured out already upon us this morning through Jesus. And I ask for even more, Lord, I lift up the cup of salvation and say, Lord, would you pour out even more of your grace to help me preach now and to give us hearts that receive your word deep into our souls. So move upon us now, I pray for the glory of your name. And it's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen. Good. Well, years ago, I did a study on, uh, I think, almost all the prayers that were in the Bible. And I, I had all these pieces of paper with four columns. So the first column was the passage. And then the second column was, who was the one praying? Uh, the third column was, what did he or she pray? And then the fourth column was, what happened? And I tell you, this rocked my world. It was an amazing study for me because... I thought, you know, prayer is a good thing for us. It affects us. You know, prayer, God wants us to pray because it'll affect our hearts. And that's true. But what I saw is that God doesn't just have us pray because it affects our hearts. God has called us to pray because he's chosen to have our prayers affect his heart and to affect what he does. I mean, time and time again in the scriptures, when men and women call upon God and pray, God answers in powerful ways. Do this study. It will change your thinking about prayer let me give you a couple examples hannah many of you know the story of hannah she longed to get pregnant she and her husband hadn't been able to get pregnant she was praying earnestly went to the temple regularly prayed cried out to the lord in earnest passionate prayer and god heard her prayer her prayer moved god's heart he brought his power upon her healed her she became pregnant and gave birth to samuel you know the story about samuel so there's hannah praying elijah prayed that it would not rain and for three and a half years god stopped all the rain major famine took place then he prayed again that god would bring the rain and god heard him elijah's prayer moved god and brought god brought a torrent of rain you read about that in james chapter 5 verses 16 through 18 one more example peter in prison the last one who was in prison, one of the apostles, James, was beheaded. So Peter's in prison facing beheading. And a group of believers gather together. And they pray and ask God to save and to deliver Peter. And God hears their prayers. And God sends an angel who goes into the prison, breaks the chains off of Peter's arms and legs, and leads him out into freedom. So that's just, just a, a sampling. I hope that, okay, I'm going to do this study. It'll be very powerful. But time and again through the scriptures, we see that God has chosen to have our prayers move him to act. But the Bible also shows us, not just that our prayers move God to act, the Bible teaches us what kind of prayer moves God to act. The Bible describes People who do pray, but the Bible also tells us how they prayed so that we can learn from them. And that's what's happening in today's passage in Isaiah chapter 63. So let's go ahead and turn there, Isaiah 63. Now, we want everybody to have a Bible that you can study this passage with. So raise your hand if you didn't bring one, and uh, we'll bring one to you. Be bold. Isaiah 63, I'm pretty sure it's on page 622 in the Bibles that we are passing out right now isaiah 63 starting in verse 15 and then going all the way through the end of chapter 63 all the way through the end of chapter 64 here we read 
how Isaiah prays. And again, this is to teach us how to pray. And so this morning, we're just going to cover verses 15 through 19, just the end of chapter 63. And then, Lord willing, next week, we'll, we'll go through chapter 64. So what can we learn about how or from how Isaiah prayed? Now, before we look at these verses, I just want you to think for a second. How do you pray? What's your, like, pattern or rhythm of prayer if you were going to sit down and pray about something what would you do um what kind of words do you use uh how do you how do you like begin and then continue and then how do you end i mean just think for a second how do you pray you got that in mind now let's take a look at how isaiah prayed and let's compare okay now here's the setting isaiah is asking israel has drifted from god and isaiah is asking god god bring israel back to yourself So look at how he prays, starting in verse 15. Look down from heaven. He's talking to God. Look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. Where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. For you are our father, though, or it could be since Abraham does not know us. I mean, he's, he was our patriarch, but he's, he's dead and gone. Israel does not acknowledge us. Jacob, our other patriarch, he's out of the picture. But you, O Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from of old is your name. O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Return. Bring your heart-changing presence upon us for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Your holy people held possession of the promised land, he's talking about, for a little while. But our adversaries, our enemies, have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. And let me just read the next two lines just to kind of... Bring some closure here. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence. So that's how Isaiah prays. Now, is that how you usually pray? Does that sound like like your prayer? I read this. I thought I've got a lot I can learn about prayer and you've got a lot. You can learn about prayer, too, I think. And as I studied these verses, I found four Really important principles that will help us to pray like Isaiah prayed. Let's just go through them one at a time, right through this passage, four crucial principles. And the first is, ask the infinitely exalted God to look down and see your needs. See that first line of verse 15. Look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful Habitation. So Isaiah says, God, would you look down and see our spiritual neediness here? Look down from heaven and see our condition. Here's a question. Does God already see Israel's spiritual condition? Yes. God knows everything in exhaustive detail, past, present, and future. But see, now this Hebrew word, seeing, can mean two different things. It can mean seeing as in just being aware of something. I mean, God knows everything all the time. But it also can mean seeing, not just being aware of it, but caring about it, 
and moving towards taking care of it. And that's what he's talking about here. Isaiah is saying, God, would you look down from heaven and see how wayward Israel is? And would you do something about it? That's what he's asking God to do. So ask yourself this question. Have you ever prayed when you had a need, like, you know, you're low on money in your checkbook or, you know, whatever. Have you ever had a need and and said, God, would you look down from heaven and see my need? You ever prayed that? Think about what what would happen in your heart if you were to pray kind of along these lines. Just to kind kind of feel this and see what's going on inside of you. Father, look down from heaven, from your holy and beautiful habitation, look down and, and see our checking account balance. Okay, so what's happening in your heart as you're praying that way? Or Father, would, would you look down from heaven, from your holy and beautiful habitation, and see these pe- my neighbors don't know Jesus Christ. They don't know your son. They're not saved. What happens in your heart when you pray that way? Or if you prayed and said, Father, would you look down from heaven, from your, from your holy and beautiful habitation, and see, I don't have a job. Or I'm struggling with pride or lust or gossip. What happens in your heart when you pray that way? And I thought of three things that that I I kind of experienced. You may think of some others. Here's the ones I thought of. One is uh, it starts your prayer off focusing on God in his infinite splendor. Right? Because you're praying, God, you are in heaven. Would you look down from heaven? You're in your your holy and beautiful habitation. When you're in the midst of, of a problem, it's so helpful to start off thinking about who God is, right? Because you're so immersed in your problem, right? But to stop and say, God, you are in heaven right now. Remember Jesus, the Lord's prayer, our father who art in heaven. So there's, there's, there's benefit that comes Father, you are in heaven in your holy and beautiful habitation. That is, you are there in heaven in a realm of perfect light and love. And you are there in the fellowship of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, full of joy as you fellowship together, Father, Son, Spirit, and delighting in your perfections, ecstatic with joy, exuberant with the awesomeness of your glory, and you're surrounded by millions of angels who are on their faces worshiping God and ready to, to obey your command to go do anything anywhere in the universe. And there you are, there God is sovereignly ruling over this massive universe with millions of 500 billion light years wide galaxies. So think of what happens when you start off pondering who God is. You, you see God's infinite splendor and and when you start off seeing God's infinite splendor and you're praying that way, that's truth glorifies God and it stirs God's heart. And it also, then the second result is it, it helps you feel your, your lowliness before God. Okay. This is what I experienced. I just kind of tried this out on Thursday. It helps you see your lowliness. See, because I love the picture here for God to see us. He has to look down, right down. Down, 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 way, 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 way down, further down, further down. Oh, there, okay, there I am, okay, right? That's just the reality. God is glorious and majestic and royal in his heavens, and you're asking him, would you look down and see, because that's helpful because it'll, it'll humble you, right? 
I mean, when you think of how massive and glorious and perfect and righteous and holy God is and how little we are on our little planet Earth and then there's little us, it it humbles us. And that's helpful for prayer to have that that humility before God. And the third benefit that I experienced is I was reminded of my need for Jesus Christ. Okay, because we've all turned our backs on God time after time after time. And so why would God see and care about our needs? Because what we deserve from him is punishment. Right? He's just. He's holy. But here's the good news of the gospel. It's the foundation of Mercy Hill Church. God came to earth in the person of Jesus 2,000 years ago. Walked on this planet so we could see God's real. And so that when Jesus died on the cross, he was being punished in our place for our sin. So that when you trust Jesus Christ, when you receive the living Jesus into your life as your savior, as your Lord, and as your heart satisfying treasure, you're completely forgiven. You're adopted into God's family. And from that moment on, the God of the universe is looking down upon you with love and care and concern. And when you say, Father, you're, you're in heaven in your, in your holy and beautiful habitation, would you look down and see? He looks down and he sees and he cares. So think about what this means. When you pray in Jesus, you're trusting Jesus Christ as the way that you can be forgiven by a holy God. When you pray, you're trusting Jesus, you're seeing your lowliness, you're seeing God's infinite splendor. Here's what's going on. The infinite God who has always been, who's created the entire heavens and earth, is looking at you with his undivided attention. He's seeing your checkbook. He's seeing your street with lost people on it. He's seeing your difficulty on the job. He's seeing your need for a job. He's seeing your struggle against gossip. He's seeing your concern about your kids. He's giving you his undivided attention. Now, I like to say that because I mean, God can give you, you his undivided attention, right? And also you and you and you because he's infinite, right? So it's not like he's got to like, take, your, take a number. No, no. You in Christ have his undivided attention. He is completely aware of every single need that you have. That's why it's helpful to to pray and and ask the infinitely exalted God to look down and see your need. Okay. Second principle. Seek to persuade God with powerful reasons. That's what's going on in the second half of verse 15 and all of verse 16. Let me read those again. Where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. For you are our father. Though or or since Abraham, patriarch Abraham, he doesn't know us. He's he's died. Israel, Jacob, our patriarch does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from of old is your name. So what's Isaiah doing here? He's giving God powerful reasons to persuade God to changing the hearts of Israel. So here's, here's how the reason works. He starts in verse 15 B. He says, you're holding back your zeal and your might and your compassion from us, God. 
15b and then 16. But God, you are our father. Fathers don't hold back their zeal and their might and their compassion from their children. Why are you holding it back? Now, can you feel the the power of those persuasive reasons? But see, I'll bet that most of us, when we pray, we don't think about giving God reasons. We, We ask. There's nothing wrong with asking. We're supposed to ask. But do you do you think about the importance of giving God persuasive reasons? And this is what you will find in almost every prayer recorded in the Bible. Almost every prayer I just say almost because I haven't looked lately, but the prayer not only asks God to work, but gives God reasons to work. Let me give you a couple examples. Numbers chapter 14. The nation of Israel had been re- uh, delivered from Egypt. They're in the wilderness on the way to the, to the promised land. But Israel had so blatantly and horribly turned away from God. God told Moses, I'm just going to kill them all and start over again with you, Moses. And Moses prays and he says, God, don't do that. Have mercy on your people. And then he gives God this reason. Because if you kill them all, people are going to think you had power to bring him out of Egypt, but didn't have the power to take him all the way to the promised land. Powerful reason. And God relented and showed mercy on them. So see, Moses here gives God a reason. Second Chronicles 20, the Moabites are invading Israel. Okay. Jehoshaphat gathers all of Israel together. They're there and they, they all pray together. He leads them in prayer and he prays, God, the Moabites are attacking us. Would you protect us? Would you deliver us? Would you save us? Because you are God. Because no one can stand against you. And because you've promised to give us and keep us in this land. Powerful reasons. One other example. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel's praying. I would encourage you, read Daniel 9. Powerful prayer. And he's, he's appealing to God. Free your people from slavery in Babylon. Take us back to the promised land. And change our hearts, O oh God. And then here's the reason he gives. Very simple. Because, Father, restoring us would glorify your name. Powerful reason after powerful reason after powerful reason. He gives now. Now, why is it, is it important to persuade God with powerful reasons? I mean, these people have nothing else to do. They can just like spend hours and hours praying because no, they're as busy as we are. All right. So why, why would all of these prayers in the scriptures, including Isaiah here, give God powerful reasons? I mean, see, Isaiah could have just said, God, bring Israel back to yourself. Amen. But instead, Isaiah says, God, bring Israel back to yourself because you are our father and fathers don't hold back their hearts from their children. Amen. So why give God reasons? Here's why. You can chew this over. Not only has God chosen to have our prayers move him to act, but God has chosen to have our persuasive reasons especially move him to act. I think it was Spurgeon. This is what my dad, I've never looked it up. My dad says Spurgeon had a sermon on prayer where he said, when you pray in a position of humility before God, but but given that you should argue your case before God, like a lawyer would argue before a jury, argue your case. Father, here's why, here's why. And then here's why 
And this hit me really powerfully on Thursday because, I mean, I've known uh, for years that, that it's, when you pray, it's good to give God reasons. But it never struck me as clearly why. I've never understood that the more reasons I give and the better reasons I give, the more God has chosen to have, the more and the better reasons stir his heart to act. Reasons are important. God has chosen to have our persuasive reasons move him to respond in prayer. And so, so Thursday, I walked out to the little, little creek pathway near our house to pray. And uh, I, I just been studying this. And I was like, wow, okay, let's, let's see. And so I, I prayed. I was praying for the salvation of someone in my extended family. And uh, I just started to pray. And then I just started to list reasons before God. And uh, I have to tell you, it was, I don't know what's happened. Nothing's happened yet that I know of. Okay. But it was very powerful for me. So I would encourage you, seek to persuade God with powerful reasons when you pray. Don't just ask. Nothing wrong with asking. But buffer your, your asking with powerful reasons. That's what Isaiah does here. Third principle. Express. God's absolute sovereignty and your utter dependency. Verse 17 is an intriguing verse. Look at what Isaiah says here. O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Return, bring, bring your heart-changing power to us for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage now you could think isaiah is saying that israel doesn't want to wander from god but god's making israel wander from god we want to come back to you don't make us wander you're no it's not what isaiah is saying okay all through the scriptures what's what we see is that we have a, a sinful nature we're just like sheep right all we like sheep have gone astray sheep wander okay they're, they're just and that's what all of us by default because of our sin nature we wander from God. We don't want to bend the knee before God. We'd rather walk away from God. And unless God brings his gracious, heart-changing power upon us through Jesus, we'll just keep wandering. If he just sits back, we'll just keep wandering away from him. He's got to bring his gracious, heart-changing work upon us to change us. So what's Isaiah saying? He's saying this. God has repeatedly pursued Israel sent prophets to them, warning them, sent preachers to them, telling them, turn back to God. God has shown them his love and his mercy. He's pursued them. They've continued to turn their back on God. And finally, in his holiness and his righteousness, he says, I'm going to completely remove my gracious influence from Israel. And then Israel left themselves, followed their nature, and completely wandered from God and hardened their hearts. And so Isaiah is praying, God, why are you doing this? You've lifted your presence from us. You're letting us continue to wander from you and harden our hearts. Return to us. Bring your heart-changing work upon us. Transform our hearts. Bring us back to you. Help us. So here's the point. Verse 17 is a place where Isaiah is coming before our God and saying, It's all up to you, God. You have absolute sovereignty over everything. If you don't work, nothing is going to happen. And if you work, everything is going to happen. You have absolute sovereignty over everything. And then he's also saying, we are completely, absolutely dependent upon you. We can't do anything. Only you can work. So it's this position of 
understanding God's absolute sovereignty and your utter dependency. And when our hearts are in sync with that truth, we are in absolute desperate need for you, God. You are completely sovereign. You choose to work. It'll happen. If you don't, we can't do anything. When your heart is in sync with that truth, God resonates with those prayers because it's, it's the truth. So pray things like this. Try this sometimes. Say, Father, it is all up to you. Unless you save my neighbor, they're not going to be saved. It's all up to you. Save them. There's just something that so clarifies things when you pray that way. God is in control. We are in need. That's it. And oh, that'll help you to pray. You're going to say, it's, it's up to you. And unless you work in my job situation, nothing's going to happen. Oh, it's just, it humbles us. It exalts him. It's just, it's right. So express God's absolute sovereignty over everything. Lord, you could change this person's heart just like that. You could save this neighbor just like that. I, I have no power to save somebody. I'll preach the gospel. I'll love them. I'll care for them. But unless you work, nothing's going to happen. So work for the glory of your name. So powerful to have that clear sense of God's sovereignty and our utter dependency. That's the third principle. Fourth is this. Give God details about your need. Verses 18 through 19. Look what Isaiah says. Your holy people held possession, speaking of the promised land, for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. Now, here's the question. Doesn't God already know all this? He already knows all this. He knows how long Israel's held possession of the promised land. He knows about the adversaries trampling down the sanctuary. God already knows about this. So, so why would Isaiah go over details of their condition that God already knows? So I mold this over. I think that the reason is because going over before God, here's this happening, here's this happening, here's this happening. That, those are powerful reasons before God to have you expressing, here's this going, God already knows it, but to have you be expressing it to him is a powerful reason. Here's the illustration I thought of. Imagine your son coming to you, dads, and he says, dad, will you take me to the 49ers game next weekend? Take me to the 49ers game next weekend. You know all the reasons, Dad. Would you take me? Okay, now, 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 now weigh the persuasive power of that request. Notice there you know, no reasons given, no, no explaining details. Weigh that power with, with the persuasive power of if your son came to you and said, Dad, would you take me to the 49ers game next weekend? Dad, you know I love football. And, and the 49ers are doing really well this year, you know? And that game next weekend is against the Redskins. Really important game really important game and, and they're doing so well this year don't you think it'd be a good idea to support them and uh and dad i checked your schedule you're you're you're, you're, in, you're in town next week you're not traveling it's games next monday night and besides the game's monday monday night um you, you don't need to miss church you know and and just so your son's going through all these reasons that do you feel dads do you feel your heart it's like no okay maybe uh, 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 right so when you come before god and detail your situation. He's your father. He knows the situation. 
but to have you, his son, you, his daughter, saying, Lord, here's my child. I'm concerned about my child for these reasons. This is happening. This is happening. This is happening. Would you work? He's a father. He hears. He's, he's chosen to have you recounting the details of your situation. He's chosen to have that stir his heart. Or you come before God and you say, you know my struggle against this area of sin. I'm feeling far from you. I'm discouraged I keep succumbing to this vain ambition. Help me. You're his son. You're his daughter. He's your father because of Jesus. He hears. He cares. He's chosen to have you recounting the details be a means of stirring his heart to act. Remember when um, the Assyrian king attacked Israel. I'm sorry. Wrong story. The Assyrian king wrote Hezekiah a letter about how he was going to attack Israel. Remember that story? Long letter. Okay. And so Hezekiah gets this letter. Now, does God know all the contents of that letter? Yes, absolutely. But what did Hezekiah do? He went into the temple and he unrolled the scroll and he said, Father, let me read this to you. Okay. Dear Hezekiah, your toast, you know, or whatever it was. All right. This long letter. Now, why did Hezekiah, God knew the contents of the letter. God knew what was going on. Why would he open up that letter and say, God, look. It's because God has chosen to have our specific recounting of our needs stir his heart. I was reminded this week, um, a couple of years ago, I think I was thinking about the same thing. And I, I took out a, a map of San Jose and just put it on my desk. And I said, here's a home group here. Here's a home group here. Here's a home group here. And I said, God, look at this home group here. Think, do you see all the lost people that are living around this home group? Father, work with your power. Then there's this home group over here. Father, Look at all the lost people that are living around this home group. Bring your power. Save people in these neighborhoods. And that was very, it was very powerful for me. But see, God has chosen to have our detailed recounting of our needs stir his heart and move him to act. So that's that, that's that fourth principle. Give God details about your need. Okay, so here's four principles. Ask the infinitely God to look down from heaven and see your need. And second, seek to persuade God with persuasive, uh, powerful reasons. And then third, acknowledge that God is absolutely sovereign and you are completely dependent. And then fourth, give God details about your need. Okay, so there's four principles. Now, what questions does that stir up in your mind? How do these work? What do these really mean? Why is this important? Any, any questions or maybe something I said that you didn't understand or may, maybe like you disagree with? How do we keep from getting a prideful attitude like God owes us? You, you know, I mean, just this last week, uh, and I'll let some of you, the rest of you answer this, but I find it very helpful to say, God, what you owe me in terms of your justice is, is what? I'll ask you. What does God owe me in his justice? Hell. That's the truth absolutely the truth and so i find it very pride is one of my big issues okay and so i need to pray along those lines often and that's where i'll go i'll say god what you deserve what what i deserve from you is hell you owe me nothing but i'm appealing to your mercy here because of jesus if you did this for me because of how sinful i've been this would so display the glory of your mercy it would be awesome 
you'd be seen as like a God who would do that for Steve Fuller. God is awesome. Sony, that's how I tend to deal with that. Yeah, don't hold back because you don't deserve what you're asking for, right? None of us ever deserves what we're asking for. I never deserve what I'm asking for from God. Do you understand that? So if you feel like, well, I don't deserve this, I shouldn't ask for it. No, that's why you should ask for it, because it'll display the glory of his mercy and his grace. Okay, just acknowledge, I don't deserve this, but you, but you want me to ask. That's great that you experienced that this morning, you said? Beautiful. Okay, somebody else. Michelle, is that, is that helpful? Anybody else have, how have you, as you've sensed, you, you know how that goes. You're, you're praying for something, and then all of a sudden you get a little edge in your prayer, right? A little, little come on, why not? You know, a little whiny, right? I mean, I've experienced that, and so this is, really, this is really germane to all of us. So anybody else, how have you dealt with that when you've seen that rising up in your heart? Isn't that beautiful news? I mean, when you don't feel like you're worthy of God's mercy, when you don't feel like you're good enough to come to God, what should you do? It's like he says, exactly. That's who can come because of Jesus Christ. Okay, so when you feel like, you know, I haven't been good enough, come before the Lord, say, forgive me, help me. And then you ask, okay? None of us are ever good enough. Don't ever try to be good enough. Nothing can happen apart from God's work, right? He's the one wielding the axe, wielding the cane, whatever it might be. Good, Natasha. Okay, let me, let me wrap up. If you have other questions, we can talk afterwards. So what happened in response to Isaiah's prayer? Here we've just seen how Isaiah prays. What actually happened? How did God answer his prayer? Remember, he's asking God, um, bring us back to the promised land and change our hearts so we turn back to you. And he prays, asks the infinitely exalted God to look down from heaven and see he Sought to persuade God with powerful reasons, right? He acknowledged God's absolute sovereignty and us, our utter dependency. And then he gives God details about his need. So what actually happened in, results, in response to his prayer? Well, in 538 BC, God stirred the heart of Cyrus to let Israel go back to the promised land. Not just to let them go, but he sent them back with gold. He sent them back with silver. He sent them back with livestock. He sent them back with building resources. He sent them back. So God answered that prayer and God brought his heart changing power upon Israel so that Israel turned back to God. So the point is God did respond to the way to Isaiah's pray. And so my encouragement to you is when you pray in this way, you will see God work. When you pray in this way, you will see God work. Just like the scripture that Dave shared earlier from the Psalms during the worship time. When you pray, you will see God work. And so I would encourage you to integrate these principles in as you pray this week. Be more intentional about how you're praying. Be more intentional about your heart. Be more intentional about giving him reasons, detailing the need, acknowledging you are sovereign over everything. I am utterly dependent upon you. And then especially, God, you are in heaven right now. Your holy and beautiful habitation. You are glorious in heaven, exalted over all. Would you look down and see my need here? Pray that way this week and see what the Lord does. Let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. Thank you, Father, for these chapters on prayer. As we're wrapping up this series on Isaiah. And thank you for having Isaiah pray 
the way you lead him to pray here. And I pray, Lord, that what we've seen today, what we've seen two weeks ago, last week, today, and what we'll be seeing in the next weeks, I'm asking, Lord, we're asking together, would you take Mercy Hill Church and lift us all up to a whole increased level of, of prayerfulness, of earnestness in prayer, of joy in prayer, of passion in prayer, of effectiveness in prayer. God, I pray that you would increase the work of your spirit upon each of us so that we would be growing in prayer because of what we've seen here. So bring your power. Help us, I pray in Jesus name. Amen.